I think you have to be able to um, motivate people by showing that progress is possible, even if it's full um, small steps towards a bigger target, um, whether you're working on um, housing or health issues or, um, you know, food fit to eat, all of these issues, you have to give people that, that hope that things can be different and that they can be part of that change. Welcome to another episode of Communicating Purpose. I'm John Higginson, and I believe that the best way to get a message across clearly is by talking about something you honestly and passionately believe in. By doing so, you bring people with you. Your passion becomes theirs, and I call this the power of purpose. Today, I'm joined by Adila Worley, the CEO of Charity Comms. Charity Comms is a membership network for communications professionals working across NGOs and charities in the UK. Charity Comms works to raise communication standard in the third sector and represents charity communicators within the PR industry. Prior to her work with Charity Comms, Adila was head of communications at Friends of the Earth. Adila spent two decades at Friends of the Earth, ending her uh, career at, as, as head of comms, during which time she worked hard on a range of campaigns that influenced green legislation, including the 2008 Climate Change Act. Adila, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, John. I'm delighted to be with you. So just tell us about your journey of how you got to your current position. Um, so um, I, I was talking about this quite recently when I uh, went uh, to join a panel at SOAS talking to um, students who are looking towards careers in sustainability and I had to admit that um, my career has been a, a, an unconventional one and certainly not a, a direct path. Um, I'm not one of those people who knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I went to the University of Sussex where I studied English literature and American studies. And um, one of the things that happened to me at university was that I um, started a lifelong uh, passion for the environment and um, I got involved with Greenpeace. Uh, and probably I'll come back to... Greenpeace and Friends of the Earth later. Well, it, well, it's certainly one of those unis, isn't it, um, Sussex, that everyone knows it, 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 it has been at the forefront for decades of, of um, those yeah, kind of ideas. Yeah, it has a, a radical reputation for campaigning, and mm. um, I certainly got the bug when I was there. Um, when I left university, I had no idea what I was going to do with an English literature degree, and I... Um, did all sorts of things like starting a four-year diploma in film studies, um, thinking about setting up my own uh, horticultural business. Um, but at, it turned out I actually went in uh, to um, local authority libraries um, and I had a, a fantastic time there. I uh, worked as a library assistant and then I became a children's librarian, which I was absolutely passionate about. And it was a time when we were bringing the library um, uh, into the new uh, into a new era uh, as an incredible social hub, uh, inviting um, reminiscence groups uh, for um, people older in life, uh, bringing um, theatre for younger people into the library, and I um, I learnt an enormous amount 
And from there, I moved into the charity sector and I became a communications officer for an animal rights organization called BUAV, uh, which was a, a very steep learning curve um, in the animal rights movement. Uh, and then from there, I went to Friends of the Earth, where I became a communications um, member of staff. And I stayed at uh, Friends of the Earth for many decades, actually. And I did over six different communications roles, starting out um, for supporting a countryside campaign, a Cities for People campaign. Uh, I ran major projects, creative projects, taking poetry and art onto London buses, um, running a children's book award on environmental stories and nonfiction all sorts of things. And as you said earlier, um, ended up as head of comms. Um, and I loved Friends of the Earth. It, to my mind, is the best environmental charity going. And I was passionate about it. And really, uh, it was a big wrench for me to move. But I did move to charity comms, which is, um, for lucky for me, is a communications charity and a membership body for professional communicators. And so I was uh, combining my passion for campaigning um, with my passion for communications. And it's such a privilege to be able to work with charities from right across the sector who are all running purposeful work to change the world for a better. So that's that's how I ended up where I am today. Great. And I think for any of our listeners uh, that, that might be younger and thinking about going to university, I know that lots of people today say you need to think about what what job you're going to do at the end of it but I also did a English literature as part of a humanities degree and I remember at the time everyone was laughing at humanities degrees saying you'll never get a proper job at the end of that and I've never been out of work um, since leaving uni so I am a believer in just 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 go for what you want don't worry about that job at the end and if you go for what you want and you're passionate about you will there's definitely stuff out there for you and, and, and those arts degrees as well uh, uh, that you're talking about. So just tell us about one of your biggest challenges in your communications career. Um, so people won't be surprised to hear that um, I hear me say that people are the beating heart of charities. Um, it's all about the people who come to work there. And I think that's one of the um, reasons that my biggest challenge has been um, managing people through periods of difficult change. Um, charities um, for, for, many, for, for many years have always gone through ups and downs and also um, really challenging themselves to think strategically about what they're there for and the best way of achieving their purpose. And that does mean change. And change affects organisations. It can disrupt work. It can affect morale. Um, it can change people's roles. It can even lead to people's jobs disappearing. And so being able to work with teams um, to navigate that those difficult times and get back on track has been one of the really big challenges. And I, I have to say I've been on the side, both sides of that. I've been directly affected by change in the charity too. So I, I know how it feels. Um, but those definitely... Um, what you realise is that the people you work with, particularly in the charity sector, care passionately about why, what they do, and um, uh, it's very much part of their identity. So it can be a really, really difficult period. Hmm. And so when you say you've been directly affected, were you, were you let go, made made redundant? Um, no, uh, um, I, I wasn't. Uh, in fact, this has happened to me several times uh, in my career and uh, for different reasons. And sometimes it was a restructuring, a change of role. Sometimes it, 
it was um, yeah, it was, it was related to strategic choices that the charity had to make. Hmm. Great. Tell us about something that you feel really proud of that you've done. Well, again, um, I've, I've spoken about this a lot, um, but I was really privileged um, to be part of uh, Friends of the Earth's uh, Big Ask campaign. And this was a campaign uh, on climate change. It was about seeking um, a step change in the government's commitment to acting on climate change. And the reason I'm really proud of it is because it, it really illustrates um, my, my belief and my experience that when you work uh, collaboratively across an organisation, you bring the sum total of your multiple skills to bear, you can achieve really great things. And the Big Ask campaign brought the skills of um, scientists, um, policy wonks, uh, creative uh, communications and PR people, uh, community activism, movement builders, partners and collaborators, all around the purpose of this existential threat to life on Earth. And I was enormously proud of the communications team in particular because we did so many creative things to really reach and engage um, hearts and minds to change attitudes uh, and uh, galvanize action and the climate change act so tell us tell us in detail because a lot of our listeners are um, communicators them, themselves what were some of those tactics that you used to get people um... well um really to understand um what people felt about climate change what they knew about climate change so um the market research that we did uh, and talking to our own um, network really gave us an insight into the fact that climate change at that time <laughs> was still seen as something quite far away definitely seen as something quite and when, abstract. And when are we talking about which which time was well so from about 2006 when we were developing the campaign and rolling it out yeah so you did so you did polling early on and and reach out to members to to, to find that out things or yes surveys. yes we, we we wanted to ground our communications approach in a in a real understanding and insight into the best way to reach connect and engage our audiences and one of the things that we realized very early on was that we needed to make it tangible. Um, we needed to, and we needed to give people agency. We needed to show them that there was a solution um, and that they could be part of it. And it was a parliamentary campaign. It was about a climate change act. Um, and it was about holding governments um, beyond the kind of cycle of elections um, but year on year to actually bringing down carbon dioxide emissions. And um, that all sounds very technical, but, you know, we, we did it in, in ways that resonated with people. We made it easy. We gave them tools. We um, sh uh, gave them the, the means to go and talk to their local MP and to actually say, we want something done about this. We need you to, to get behind this piece of legislation. And so, and so you might have given them template letters that they could write to their local MPs with. Um, and did you go to journalists as well, giving them the kind of data on the on the research on 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 what people all wanted? of that really? And I think it was yeah. about changing the discourse, really uh, trying to make make it a constructive, hopeful um, discourse mm. that was about progress. 
and also to say that the sooner we act, I know this seems this seems very um, uh, hard, given that we're still in a situation where climate change is a massive problem and we need much more rapid action. But we wanted to sh- we wanted to give people that sense of hope, and I think every campaign that you run, no matter what the topic is, I think you have to be able to. Um, motivate people by showing that progress is possible, even if it's full, um, small steps towards a bigger target, um, whether you're working on um, housing or health issues or um, you know food fit to eat, all of these issues, you have to give people that, that hope that things can yeah. be different and that they can be part of that change. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. And if, if you only provide the negative side of things, people just feel hopeless and they end up doing uh nothing uh and so that that work that you did there do you do you feel that that influenced the 2008 climate change act then yes absolutely i i think it did and i think even we were really uh friends of the earth were really um surprised at how quickly that milestone um legislation became a reality and it it went on to inspire big ass campaigns across europe as well so it had a it had a really big footprint uh, I don't underestimate, and I, I know that Friends of the Earth don't underestimate the challenge that is still there. Um, listening to the news this morning, I, I think the government's climate change committee were um, really holding holding the mirror up to the government and saying, we're not moving fast enough on climate adaption. You know, the sooner we act, the easier it will be. The longer we wait, the harder and more painful it will be. So the need for campaigning and um, keeping up the pressure is ever present, really. Great. And then just to kind of remind listeners of the Climate Change Act uh, 2008, that was so um, important to where we are today, it, 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 it put a duty on the UK government, didn't it, to uh, keep to the uh, Kyoto Protocol um, that um, CO2 emissions need to be below the base rate of 1990 levels by 2050. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And it, it, it gave a duty to government to have it have a climate committee that would report progress each and every year, and also to start the programme of transition towards green, green solutions. So it was, yeah, it was a really important package of measures. Yeah, great. Is there anything that you feel that professional communicators could uh, need to do better? Um. I think professional communicators have their hands extremely full and I um, are doing amazing work day in and day out. Um, The thing that we talk about a lot with charity comms when we're um, convening our community and conferences and seminars is really that what we were just talking about, which is really putting your audience centre in everything that you do, really understanding what what they think and what they need and why you're relevant to them how you can show them that you can help solve the problems that they care passionately about um so i think i think that's really important um as a as a way of structuring your communications great and what medium do you find is the best uh, tool for getting your own message across in the job you're doing now um, so we're a membership organisation, so we um, we have a website and we uh, have a regular newsletter um, and we uh, um, provide an amazing knowledge hub for communications professionals. Um, but day to day, 
Twitter is probably our, our main tool of engagement. It's where we gather news and information. It's where we see our members uh, and the charity sector talking about the issues of the day, um, sharing their knowledge, their skills and reports and campaigning, actually. And so being able to keep on top of that, being able to respond and interact with their communications and to amplify their voice. It's a really it's a really important medium for us. And what media do you read yourself? Before um, COVID, I used to work in the office five days a week. And since then, I've become mainly a home worker. And that has sort of changed the way I access news. Um, I work at home, so does my partner. And he is an avid reader of print newspapers. And so every day I go out and I get two newspapers and I um, browse them over breakfast and pick them up later in the day. I'm, and I I'm think sure The Guardian's am, amongst them. I'd love to know what, what, what the other newspaper is. It's actually the eye paper. Yeah. And um, so instead of dashing for the, chain, for the train and kind of scanning BBC News on my phone, I'm actually reading papers. And it's, um, it's made me realise that there are lots of stories that I would never have absorbed if I weren't doing that, um, right across from hard news to features and opinion pieces. And I, I'm really um, in, uh, enjoying that, actually. Um, in the evenings, in the evenings, Channel 4 is my go-to news. Um, and I think I, I like it because it, it brings um, different stories to uh, many other channels. And it's, I think, extraordinarily brave. And it, it sometimes can be a very hard watch, but it's one that I feel compelled to watch. Um, and then at weekends, I absolutely get, I indulge in, in music. So I, I'm, I have my favourite programmes um, Planet, um, music Planet is one of them. It takes me to all corners of the world and uh, to all sorts of music, and I, I really enjoy it. Oh, great. Which, which uh, channel is that on? That's on uh, BBC Radio 3. Um, and I think that, that, that point there that you say about newspapers, um, old-fashioned newspapers we're talking about here, the actual print editions, yep. they actually bring you stories that you wouldn't otherwise see if you've got a kind of curated feed that that creates a bit of an echo chamber for you and, and, and puts more and more stories in front of you that you're already interested in. And I think that's one of the problems of social media and, and uh, the way things are going with digital is um, it's really useful to see stories that you might not otherwise look at uh, uh, and understand that because you get a good eye, uh, you, you get a better sense of what other people, um, other people are seeing, and you get a, bit, a better sense of stories that um, might actually be interesting, but you didn't previously think they were interesting. So, um, some some of the anal an analytics wouldn't throw that story up in front of you if you were looking at a social media feed or getting your news in that, in that way. I think I think that's very true. Um, I, I I sometimes struggle to sleep, and so my um, one of the other places I get very unusual stories is from the BBC World Service. Um, it's just uh, incredible the stories, totally unexpected stories from parts of the world that you don't hear reported that much, and. Um, yeah, that, that goes straight into my subconscious, I think, and I, I, it kind of emerges later. So that's it's an interesting, interesting listen. Good, good tips. I'm going to try out those two. Um, where do you get your inspiration from? Um, as I said, at Charity Comms, I get to work with so many amazing communicators. 
um, who are absolutely championing the rights of people to have a home, to um, have safe, healthy food, to have um, heating that they can afford. There's so many causes. And so um, when I'm working with them, I feel um, constantly inspired and moved, actually, by what they're doing and what they're achieving. So that that's really important to me. Um, but I think it's important to have, um, you know, other things that inspire you. And for, for me, that's, um, I really love going to, I, the privilege of living in London is that you've got amazing galleries and museums on your doorstep. And I, I when I can, I love to go and just immerse myself in something new and something beautiful and something challenging. And somehow these things work their way into your worldview and in, into your the way that you communicate as well. What for you makes a good message as a communicator? Um, so I don't, I hope I'm not sounding too um, repetitive, but I, I think a good message is one that really knows who it's talking to, um, understanding the needs of that audience that you're speaking to and how you can help them with their problems and make life better. I think it's worth checking whether you are the best messenger. Um, sometimes there will be other people whose voices will resonate more effectively and be trusted and influential. So it's worth just challenging yourself about that. Um, I think a message that offers something, um, offers the person listening something that they can do or take away. And then a message that shows that there is progress, that there is hope um, and that you can be part of it. I think all of those ingredients are really important for good, strong messaging. I think that's really good advice and, and, and something that, that not everyone in communications thinks about the fact that you might not be the best person to deliver your message. It might be someone else. It might be an advocate. It might be uh, someone else. And, and, and quite often it is someone else who, who, who makes a mess, better messenger of, of your, your message because they'll be more, more, more trusted because they are delivering that message for you and, 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 and they haven't got as much, um, it, it doesn't matter as much to them. It's not, it's not something that they have a kind of personal uh, benefit of. I've, I'm just, um, I'm just doing a piece, writing a piece for third sector magazine. And I'm talking about small charities and one of them, Emmaus, who is a homelessness charity. Um, they've been testing out podcasting and it, and, one of the things that they've done is they've matched up a staff member with one of their homelessness community groups and they interview each other. And the authenticity of that messaging is so powerful. So I, I just think that's a really good example of you know, yeah. good messaging yeah. and authentic messaging. Good. Well, I'm glad to, I'm, I'm glad to hear about people using podcasting as well, because I love podcasting and um and that's why we're we're um, uh, recording this this podcast now because I think you can go so much deeper um, at that, and especially in a world where so much information comes through thick and fast, and you don't you you're skimming stuff, you don't feel you've got time to look at that. And so, for me and for so many other people, podcasting is something you can do while while you're doing something else, when you're going on a walk, when you're going on a run. Uh, uh, um, and, and you're getting those two things done. You're getting a bit of exercise. You're walking the dog or whatever else it is. But you're also being able to go deep uh, at a time when everyone's time is so uh, short. 
Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with you. I, I, I use um, my park walk to listen to podcasts. And, yeah. Finally, before I let you go, um, if you could give one piece of advice to yourself at the start of your career, what would it be? So interesting you asked that question because I was talking to my partner at the weekend about teachers who'd said things to you in your school career that you'd like to go back and say you were wrong. <laughs> and so my, my advice is, um, you know, really don't be disheartened um, and try, don't listen to the naysayers that tell you that you'll never amount to anything because I had that and, and it's not turned out to be true. So I think maybe gather around you the people who really communicate belief and hope and joy in, in what's in the possible. And then I think you, you'll prosper. Adila Worley, CEO of Charity Comms. You've been speaking to me, John Higginson, on Communicating Purpose, produced this week by Joe Leonard Waters. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, John. Thank you.